to the Made of Human podcast and I'm Sophie Hagen. I am just going to quickly run through some stuff that I think you should know and then I will let you listen to this episode because it's a really good one. Now I tweeted about this episode, well I tweeted about a week ago that the next episode was going to be an episode that made me cry during the recording but we're in this odd situation where the person who was meant to be in this episode decided to run in the election so it's now a politician. So uh, they had to have some time to just quickly listen through the recording to make sure they didn't say anything <laughs> weird, which they didn't. But I still, I just sent them the episode and let them <laughs> figure that out. So uh, I've had to call in this episode, which was meant to be sent next week. And this one didn't make me cry. Quite the opposite. It made me laugh. like Because it's with Nyskuma, who is one of the funniest people in the world. So... If you're listening to this expecting me and Nish to be crying, it, it won't happen. Uh, one thing will happen, though. Now, um, it was a chaotic day for both me and Nish, uh, which meant that we ended up shooting the uh, recording the episode like 30 minutes later than we were meant to, meaning that about the last 10 minutes or so of the episode, in the background, you can hear someone fixing a piano. So someone's like um, hammering some nails into a thing. So... It's a bit annoying, I'll be honest with you. I was, uh, when I just listened through it for the, for the editing and stuff, I was a bit annoyed and um, a bit distracted by it. But I still think it's worth listening to. It's only in the last part of the podcast. And next time I know, I'll, we, we had no choice. We couldn't move away. It was the only place we had. And yeah, that's, it is what it is. Uh, I think we'll survive that. But now you're prepared. Uh, so, thank you. <laughs> thank you for, for, for being awesome. I'm doing a bunch of shows and I keep meeting you. People come out to me and say that they're fans of the Mopad and it just warms my heart every single time. I'm so happy. Uh, so, if you if you want to be one of the people to come and see me do comedy, uh, sign up for my newsletter, sophiehagen.com forward slash newsletter, because I am going on tour and I cannot freaking wait um, it's my second tour of the uk it's my biggest yet tour of the uk i will be visiting places like wales and <laughs> peterborough and oh i should have had a list in front of me i think i'll be in manchester or close to manchester and i'll probably be close to york and <laughs> bristol i don't know listen there's a list on my website i'll be everywhere basically and we're planning my Danish tour as well. So go to my website, check out uh, which cities I'm in. And if you're 
nearby and get some tickets. It's from my new show called Dead Baby Frog, which uh, I will, uh, what do you call that, premiere at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Now, I think this will be released today, and today is the 10th. I do think that the tickets go on sale tomorrow. So that's May 11th. I think the tickets for my Edinburgh Fringe show goes on sale tomorrow. I'll be at 2, 2 p.m. at the Bedlam Theatre. So you can go and get tickets if today is the 11th or later. Okay, then. I am doing a one, one only work in progress test show in Copenhagen on the 25th of May. There's only 45 tickets available. Uh, the tickets will be... Um, it's at Varberg's Comedy Club. So if you Google Varberg's Comedy Club, you can find the website and find the tickets. Or it, they're all over my Twitter and uh, my Facebook as well. And one last thing. I know the shop didn't work for a while, uh, the Made of Human podcast shop, but it works now. So if you go to madeofhumanpodcast.com, you can go and buy a t-shirt. I saw one of you wearing my face on your body on the t-shirt and I freaked out and I panicked and it was the best thing ever. And I couldn't believe, it sounds so cheesy and stupid, but I couldn't believe how lucky I am to have nice people follow me. That, that, that was disgusting. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I'm in a weird mood. I've been locked in a hotel room all day. I'm sick and have to go and do a, a work in progress show now. And it's a, it's a weird time. It's a weird time. I feel weird. It's good. I've started therapy again, uh, which is harder than I thought it would be because I basically thought I was going to walk in and just be like, hey, listen, I've been seeing a therapist for 10 years, okay? So I know the deal and I'll just explain to you what all my issues are and, uh, and then I'll tell you what to do. I thought that was going to be it because I thought it was an expert. And this this is a whole new therapist I've never seen before. And all of a sudden she was just like, well, I have another approach. And she made me already within two sessions, she had me start digging up stuff about my past. And I mean, it's working. I've had times where I just sat and just cried for no reason. I was like, oh, (laughs) therapy's worth it. (laughs) It really is. Something's happening. But it's a weird feeling. Uh, She's so great, though. She's really... I really like her. She's very British. Feels very British. And having to do therapy in your second language is weird, but it really works. And yeah. Anyways, no reason for why I should say that, but I just did. Um, I've not spoken to anyone all day. That's what's happening. But, uh, oh, and you will. But I'm just going to say it anyways. Please enjoy this episode with Nish Kumar. I know that if I do start wearing glasses there's no way I'm ever going to wear contacts because that is one of the things that like like putting them in the eye yeah that's people like even watching like my aunt just like I remember even when I was a kid she would just be like yeah yeah and she'd just be talking to you and then she'd like rip a bit of her eye out and like I know people who are super used to them but that's like one of the things that it's like nails on the chalkboard oh God. to me. Like it really, for some reason, it's just like a real, I don't know, maybe I got poked in the eye a lot as a kid. <laughs> but like, I, have I, no, I have no like specific reason for, for it. A lot it. of people have that. It may, yeah. It's not even... I just, think it's quite a normal thing to be Yeah, it's not like yeah. a normal... F- it's, it's not like a... F- it's like phobia of snakes. Makes sense. Yeah, that's yeah, scary. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah, phobia, really of, poisonous. phobia of salt. Yeah. It's like, no, it doesn't make Yeah. You know, yeah. So I think like, sticking your finger in your eye is not, probably a reason why your brain is like, don't, don't, don't do that. Why would you do that? Do you have anything else wrong with you? Where do you, where do you want to start? Well, we, I mean, we're, we're not pressed for time, but I do think we need to, to get to the bottom of, of everything that's wrong with Nish Kumar. Because I, I can't think of anything. With me? Yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, there's plenty wrong with me. 
but like this, ha- the, the, so, something has to be a bit off to, to, for you to choose to be a comedian. Yeah. I think I think something has to be a little off. Yeah, like there's got to be some like I, I I think everyone thinks it's like a lack of attention. Yeah, when you're a kid that drives yeah. you to drug. But I think also you can have you can have too much attention. Which one be, are you then? I think probably too much attention. Really? Yeah, I think probably when I was growing up, I think my parents were too delighted by me in an initial stage. And I think that's why I believe that, I, you know, it's like, well, my mother seems to find me delightful. So I don't understand why the rest of the <laughs> world should not feel? be. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because they then were subsequently so against my career because, you know, it was just a very alien thing for them that I would want to be a comedian. So it's really funny that I'm like, you did this. <laughs> You should have been 50% less supportive of me as a baby and then maybe I wouldn't be this the adult that you're now having such a difficult time accepting his choices. Like, but why are they... I mean, you say good things on stage. You're not, you know... Like, I, like my family can have some issues with what I say because I talk about them, you know? Like, my, my, uh, my, my dad's mother was really upset at everything that I was saying because I mainly slag off her child. Yeah, 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 but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I was just doing politics, not just, but if I was just talking about politics on stage, I can't imagine they'd be funny. Well, it wasn't, it's never been a content issue. Have your, do your parents come and watch you do stand-up? Oh, no, not really. Have they ever seen you? They have seen me. Right, right, right. But, but they haven't not... come and seen, like, the hour shows. Mm, my mom saw my first hour. How did she find it? I think she's. I mean, she does. She does like. She's. She accepts it. She's okay with it. Yeah, but yeah. She doesn't like that. I'm that other people have opinions about me. Uh, I think that's right. what she doesn't like. That I'm out there. That I'm exposed in some in some way. I think that's what she doesn't like. That's what my mum always says. That they oh, really? so they come like they come twice a year. So they come once in Edinburgh and then once in London. And my parents do not take in the Edinburgh version of the show because it's just pla- it's just panic. It's just blind panic. The first time, but for but you when, or them? For them, oh, they really? find it so tense because they like oh. they they find the idea of like suddenly it's like oh oh god I hope yeah. they enjoy this show and then yeah. the, they what they tend to do is like they come to Edinburgh they see it's fine and they come and they actually take it in in London <laughs> that's when they actually absorb the content of the show wow. But that's interesting. So your mum must feel very protective of you. Yeah, I think she does. I think yeah. she just doesn't like... She's a pri- very private person. She just doesn't want other sure. people to have an opinion. Of, I get that. Yeah, like, yeah. I would, I would never want anyone else in my family to do stand-up. Then I would be very... Like, yeah, of course. Do yeah, I would yeah, not yeah. be supportive of... Would you be, <laughs> would you be supportive if your mum started doing stand-up? Oh, I, d- I don't know. My mum and I had to do a thing. We had to do a radio show and... Um, we didn't have to. We chose to. There was no <laughs> government edict that Nish Kumar and his mother must do a radio show. But we did damn like Brexit. A, yeah, damn Brexit. God, this is not what we voted leave for, <laughs> for Asians and their mothers to be doing broadcast work. But we did like, we did, uh, it's a show called It's Not What You Know, which Joe Lysett hosts on Radio 4. And it's it's basically Mr. and Mrs., but with anyone other than your partner. Mm. So it's like, any, like your friend, family, anyone, just as long as it's not your husband wife or partner so it's um and my mum we had to do some of it in front of an audience my mum was really nervous and it was really Mm. funny like because I was like why are you so nervous about because my mother's quite a naturally gregarious person but she was just like oh I don't stand up in front and you go oh yeah it's a bit weird (laughs) yeah it is actually a bit weird to like my uncle was saying that he has 
like my uncles, I'm very close to them, and he's very like he's really like my mum. He's my mum's brother, and they're both very good communicators, and they they're very sociable, and they like people, and they talk a lot. And um, but my uncle said, oh, I had to go for this like. He's like, yeah, I was in this like training seminar for public speaking. I was like, why were you in a training seminar for public speaking? And he was like, because why wouldn't I be? But I said, you you talk, and he's like, yeah, to, in a social setting, but not when you have to address a crowd. Like that's really weird. And then w- what that makes you grateful for then is the open mic circuit, mm. because actually we all went through a process where we performed to five people, mm. six people. And it was like, now I give thanks for the terrible start that you have to have as a comedian. <laughs> and like all the years you do really awful gigs in front of four or five people. It like, now I'm like, the system works. <laughs> the system works. And so, yeah, yeah. It's, the open mic circuit was brutal. Wait, but were you like naturally just like up in front of people talking from the beginning? Oh, uh, that's yeah. I think that's kind. Of, I've got a massive ego. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think I've always believed, mistakenly, that what I have to say is of some value to people. So you went up the first time you gigged and was just like, "Bah, you're lucky no, to have me." No, no, no. I so at school I was like really good at like I was always volunteering for readings and I was doing plays and stuff and I was in the debating society at school. Oh, that wow. was like the big. That was my big because I could not play sports. My hand-eye <laughs> coordination is absolutely negligible. Like just uh, appalling, abysmal. I was talking to somebody the other day. It's like my friend is a reasonably new father and he was sort of talking about the challenges when you're a father and he's, he's like you know and then at some point my son's gonna be better at sport than me and I was like wow, I wonder where my dad has never experienced like my dad didn't experience that until my brother my dad is like 62 and he can beat me at most sports. <laughs> like he's still better than me at most sports but um so my thing at school was like debating like I, and um and when I look back on it it was i was just trying to be funny the whole time mm. like that was and that like and that's probably and i so james acaster who's a friend of ours and a comedian who's a good friend of mine said <laughs> when i told him i was a debater at school he went oh that explains absolutely everything he's obsessed with the idea <laughs> that you, yeah it's just i he's it, like yeah because you were a school debater and so at school i was trying to I was trying to make serious issues f- funny. I was a funny debater, and now I am a serious comedian. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all it's all come around full circle. Were you were you popular? S- well, did you care? <laughs> n- sort of. Not wh- not for a long time. When I was at secondary school, I tell you what, I was very good at. I very quickly realised. I am one of the losers. Oh, really? Like, I very quickly realised, like, I, I I never really tried to be cool because I think I realised it did not come naturally to me. <laughs> like, when I was at primary school, uh, it's it's interesting. I was talking, I have a young cousin and he's kind of going through, like, secondary school now. And he's, you know, and he's talking about, like, you know, he's very bright chap and he's very emotionally articulate and he's like oh yeah I'm starting a new school and I'm kind of struggling to fit in and I'm just like I don't really know how to say to him you are a loser (laughs) and the reason I know that is because I am a loser and it's like it's just literally like in school there were you know there were the cool kids 
and your impulse is to go, oh, I should hang out with them. But what I very quickly realised was I have literally nothing in common with them. <laughs> I can't talk to these people about Red Dwarf. <laughs> they didn't stay up for four hours. They, didn't, they don't set their VCRs to record Seinfeld at two in the morning. I, there's no point in me trying to talk to these people. I should talk to the kid over there who's reading a Batman comic and is struggling to make eye contact with everyone else. <laughs> so, like, I was very... Like, I knew very quickly that I was not going to be, like, the, in the sort of in crowd. And so I was very lucky that I always found... I always managed to find the other goobers. Mm. Like, the other, like... Like, I just remember... Like the first week, I don't know whether it's the same, like on the continent, uh, on whatever's left of that place we've decided to leave. I don't even know why we're still here, Sophie, we voted you out. <laughs> but I, when you start at university here, like Freshers Week, you must have done Freshers gigs, like Freshers I Week think here. So. Freshers Is that Week when they're all here. scared? That's when they're, they're either all, all, yeah, they're all new, they're all yeah. scared, and they're all really drunk. And I got to uni and uh, Freshers Week. Like, the first day, I was like, this is an absolute nightmare. Like, because everyone was just like... It was that organised fun, which I fucking hate. Yeah. Like, which is yeah, it blows my mind. Yeah. And so there's all these fun, people... Fun is bad enough just being fun. <laughs> and then when you organise it, oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love fun. The thing about me is I bloody love a bit of fun. I'm not... I'm not, I'm lo- I'm not I'm I not, love a bit of fun. No, I never got into it. It's never, <laughs> I never got thing. into fun. It's not, not my thing. Fun isn't my thing. It's not my thing. That's funny. Fun is not my thing. Genuinely, it's not, it's not for me. What do you mean? Like, you don't no, like... Just, I think like the general perception of what is fun. Sure, Partying, sure, sure. festivals. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, that's the problem. So I started at Freshers Week and I was like, I was excited about university. And when I got there on the first like afternoon, I was like, what is this? Because they were all trying to get you to... It's this thing called strawpedoing, where you get a bottle of, like, an Alka-Pop and you put a straw in it and you that straw facilitates you downing the drink easier. Oh. And they call it a strawpedo. Jesus. And this was going on and I was like, what is happening here? And I sort of looked and I remember very distinctly being in the bar and there were, like, five or six other people who were all looking a bit baffled and... Those people and I are still friends to this Aww. day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of them takes me three days ago to having a baby. Like it's that like we're still like I'm still in contact with a few of those people who like literally on the first night of university were like, oh not for dear, me. Yeah. this is not for me. But I think it was like I was very lucky because I think very early I established that being popular was never going to quite work out. And were you okay with that? Did you never? Did you try to fit in? No, I th- no. I think I always like, because all the kind of, all the people I grew up really admiring, were, you know, like I really admired. I always like looked up to sort of outsider people, people mm. who were deliberately sort of off kilter, you know. Like, even when you go and see an action movie, I'm always like, that tech sidekick's got something going for him. <laughs> Literally, the first play we did at school, I demanded to be the, uh, like, the cleaning lady. So I had, like, <laughs> one, which is, like, a very small, she had one line. It was, like, a rant, a small rant. I <laughs> fucking nailed that. And then Emma was, like, the lead character, whatever. She did all right. Who cares? But I nailed it for those 30 seconds where I got to be, like, the, the cleaning lady. <laughs> 
But I was really lucky because wherever, like when I, towards like primary school, at the beginning of primary school, it was a bit of a struggle. According to my mother, I was slightly struggling for friends. And you then don't it remember it yourself? Or? Vaguely, sort of vaguely. I remember just hanging around in the trees on my own quite a lot. But I don't really have very specific, but like slowly over the course of primary school, you like sort of slowly accumulate friends. And when I was in secondary school, you just very quickly find, I was just really lucky because I very quickly found all the people who, you know, like the people who did watch Red Dwarf and did like Bob Dylan mm. and the people who, you know, did like all the stuff and, you know, could quote encyclopedic knowledge of the Simpsons. Like that's those sort of people you're like, that's the that's what I was trying to tell say, say to my cousin I was like you've got to find them because they're the people you actually like have stuff in common with it, like in your bones you have the same impulses as them and it's going to be much more fun to try and hang out with them than, uh, than the cool people but I was also like I was largely tolerated by the cool people at school because I was in all the same detentions as them oh why so it was fine like detention I mean, as in detention 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 yes because you did what because oh because I was a nightmare absolute oh. nightmare just like uh, just really lippy just like really cheeky oh yeah really yeah. rude really to the teachers or to the to other teachers? kids not uh, to other it's kids it's an authority to, thing yeah it's an authority thing and what, what's really funny is that and this is a constant obsession with my parents is that I'm really like deferential to my parents at home like very I like I don't really answer back and I you know and I'm I was always quite scared of my parents growing up and I I'm still like I I still wouldn't be outwardly rude to them you know whereas like my brother was like really mouthy at home and then when he got to school was right in line but for me as soon as I got to school if anyone people tried to tell me anything it was a nightmare I have a real problem with anyone trying to tell me what to do I think we we have that exact thing in common. Both it sounds like we had almost the same kind of school. So thing. were you like yeah, have like, a mouthy? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I would protest. Like I would make them <laughs> furious. I didn't I tell you I made like a, a signature what do you call it? Like a petition against the um <laughs> this makes you sound like a bad person. <laughs> the uh, the lunch lady. What? Because she uh like she's all of her so she only served like a lot of very unhealthy stuff. Yeah. Uh, which I didn't. I mean, that was what I ate. It was a principle. Yeah. But then she sold like some carrots and she like vastly overpriced them. She and had a markup like, on the carrots. I was like, it's not okay. <laughs> like if you want people to be healthy, that's the only healthy option. And that's like three pounds for a carrot. So I tried to make everyone sign it. And everyone were like, don't do that. She's so nice. She's like our mother. She, she would call us. Uh, she would always be like, I'm like your mother away from home. And I'd be like, fuck you. Listen. <laughs> You're taking advantage. And she would try to be like, no, of course they're so expensive because that's what it costs to peel the carrots. And I was like, nah, bullshit. That's not how it works. And I was the only one who signed it. And because <laughs> no one wanted to back me up. And I thought they were, <laughs> I thought they were all cowards. How dare you? How dare I you? Believe, I can't believe you petitioned the lunch lady. I did. I did. I, did, I tried to get teachers fired. Really? I tried to get, I tried to get them to uh, change the... Um, Curtains because they were from like the eighties and really? hadn't been watched. So, yeah, I did. How all old that. are you when all of it? So how old are you when Lunchgate oh, is unfolding? I think I was sixteen or seventeen. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Before that, I just had some arguments with te- like I had a few teachers that when I was younger, like 13, 12, 11, 12, 13 I just kind of attacked it from a very logical point of view. Sure. Of right. Going right, right. like, oh, but you know, like the 
like you have to take me <laughs> me into consideration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I would be like, I get why you need to teach those kids that, <laughs> but. I, But you also have to take my level into you consideration. You have to take my level into consideration. <laughs> like, I would always do, like, whenever I would write something and they would correct it, like, don't start a sentence with but. Yeah. And I'd be like, mm, well, actually, yeah. it's an artistic form of expression and I think this is really... And I sh- you should yeah, allow and me to do that because you're is killing... Language an ever-evolving beast. Yeah, and you're killing my creativity. What is that kind of thing to do as a teacher? Excuse me. Which, I, I mean... So yeah, I hated authority. I tried to get out of gym for my entire life. I tried to oh, not do gym. Uh, oh, I succeeded. Oh, me too. Hello. Oh, really? Is Hello. It, is it like a legal thing here that you have to do it? Yeah, it is. Oh, how did you do it? Well, it, we it was never official. We just came to an arrangement. <laughs> um, my rugby teacher was just so fed up that he <laughs> With what? was what just like... Do? He just... Cause I, because I was really bad at sport and because I was just really mouthy. The other problem that... And I is that certain teachers found it delightful. Oh, really? Yeah, and there were certain teachers at my school that really encouraged that side of your personality because I think it sort of goes part and parcel with, like, you know, like, it's it sort of that questioning mind is something that I think teachers are trying to activate. Like, they're yeah. trying to make you question them and you're, yeah. they're trying to make you argue and the thing is when and that is it's a really positive attribute when it's a subject you have enthusiasm for because for like in English and history me being lippy would translate as me yeah. I would you know if my teacher said oh, I think that opinion's nonsense I would like read up to try and find out why they thought it was nonsense and I, and I would come back in and be like oh fuck you I read this this and this and they'd be like <laughs> I win a game <laughs> I, I got you to study and you didn't even know you were studying like and it was all and it was brilliant but if it was a subject I wasn't interested in it would mm. just be me I like I was a fucking asshole. like as a teenager now when I reflect on it it was like Jesus these people were just like you know they were just doing their, their job fault. they were just yeah. doing their job they didn't have this desire <laughs> they, it wasn't like they got up in the morning and were like how can we ruin this guy's day like whereas what and you know and I was like these fucking people are getting my face and I was reading Catch 22 and I was listening to Jimi Hendrix and I was like you got I gotta let my freak flag fly (laughs) (laughs) you know and it was all it was just all this like bad influence was getting sort of poured into my brain in terms of my like I for whatever reason have this kind of natural aversion to somebody telling me to do anything Mm. if somebody tells me to do something I'm like why (laughs) even if it's something really reasonable Mm. like wait for the green man why I got what I want (laughs) I'm just trying to get you to stop me from getting run over why are you doing this to yourself and I so I think I have this like I have that naturally and there were certain teachers that encouraged it because if it's channeled positively it's part of being an inquisitive student yeah but when it wasn't channeled positively, oh god, I was, must have been like I, I. It is a constant source of like deep shame to me. Like some of the shit that I used to pull in classes, and like some of the way that I used to behave. Because especially now, when you now I'm like you know I'm, I'm 31, and so I'm probably like get I'm this, at the same age as some of the teachers who've lived over him. And I'm just trying to imagine like oh someone God. just gets up in the morning and they're just like, okay, I've got to do this. And like teaching is such a fucking hard job. And then the last thing you need is this like kid who wore a Beatles tie every day for two years. That was a weird decision. That was a weird decision for a teenager to make. In That was a weird decision for a teenager to make in 2002 and 2003. What an odd move that was. Like... I had this Beatles sign. It was the pictures of the four of them from the White Album. They were all in black and white and I wore it every day to school for two years because we could wear any tie that we wanted 
and I was like, I'm wearing the Beatles tie. Oh, yeah, else the was uniform like, thing. Yeah, and everyone else was like, well, let's wear, let, why don't you buy a couple of ties? And my friend Ollie was like, I've got a Beatles tie. I don't wear it every day. And I was like, no way, man. This is who I am. You can't change me. You can't change me. <laughs> I had quite a few arguments with my ex-boyfriend, but one of the ones where it didn't end up changing his mind was about the uniform, the school uniform. Right. I cannot imagine... I cannot imagine how that's a good thing for kids yeah. to wear uniform. I saw a five-year-old wearing a suit. It's fucking <laughs> sick. It's no, a sick thing. That I is hilarious. I cannot get on board with it. A, f- a five-year-old. I, one of the things that I find objectively funny is a, f- a formally dressed child. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's so hilarious. Especially at <laughs> weddings where the oh. kids wear like waistcoats and you're like, he's dressed like a businessman. And you're like, who's going to give him a job? <laughs> Is that oh, that makes me briefcase. laugh so much? A oh. teeny briefcase and a small bowler hat. You're like, who is gonna? What company are you running? But um, yeah, I I never know with these kind of things. Like I never, you know, I never know with the school uniform. I sort of go, I wonder whether well, was that really harmful? Was that helpful? Did it make no difference? It's the same you, with the same gender school thing, which I also find weird. So I did boys only till I was 16, and then they let girls in. How can that form. not fuck you up? How can that not fuck you up? Yeah, I, I think on reflection, that was probably not the best idea. Yeah. You know, like, I, I think probably... Do you also call your teachers Mr. and Mrs.? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That is also weird. I so find that weird, too. Tell me about your strange Scandinavian school system. <laughs> well, no uniform. We call them by their first names. You call them by their first names? Yeah. Your teachers? Yeah. This is fucking hippie. I don't, I don't think this I know This is hippie the... bullshit, mate. <laughs> Uh, mixed mixed gender schools, and uh, isn't it? Isn't the Scandinavian? A lot of those you, those countries are notorious for having unbelievably great education systems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't, that's oh, it's right, brilliant. We get it? like paid to all... go to school as well. You get paid yeah. to go to school. So the university, you get some around five hundred pounds a month, and then you can apply for like a loan on top of that. So you can get like eight hundred, nine hundred pounds so a funny. month. Like, and the rent I'm... is two hundred pounds a, a month for, for like student accommodation. This is how badly this is ingrained in our national psyche. Like, I am, you know, Captain Progressive. And even <laughs> as I'm hearing this, I'm like, fucking hippie nonsense. <laughs> like, it's coded so far. That's how I feel like, about When I hear DNA. about British education, I'm like, fascist. Yeah. <laughs> fucking Nazi system. But I don't, I, it's slightly beyond me why we don't just do that. Uh, it's, it's, you know, if, you get, if yeah. it gets unbelievable results, and it is slightly beyond me why we don't look at that and go, yeah. oh, Right, because I have I have friends because I'm I've always been working class and I have friends who are extremely working class in Denmark, you know, yeah. where, you know, who had to move out of home when they were fourteen and has to work a, a long job and stuff. But they can still have a they can still become lawyers, you know, w- without having to owe a bunch of money to some because kind they of education. Have free education, yeah. So they get paid, not just free, but get paid to do education. You can live off of your your that's student crazy. support money. Yeah. Well, I think this is this because that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, you know, yeah. you, that's what you want. Like, you want to get people education and. I think it's something. There's something similar in Germany because my brother lives in Berlin, and we were oh, hanging yeah. out. We were in a bar in the East Berlin, and my brother was like, I "Was like, man, it's packed." It was Wednesday, and it was packed. And my brother's like, "Yeah, most of these people are students." I was like, "How can they? Have, what is going on here?" <laughs> yeah. And he was just like, "Yeah, people just love it. They just come here. They, it's the you know, the cost is minimal. They're you know." We like my brother is in, so my brother's ju- like four years younger than me, and he's just the other side of the student. So when I went to university, like in total, this is going to horrify you, but in total it cost me like nine thousand pounds. Like that's my debt is nine grand, which I've been sort of slowly paying Back. off over the last few years. My brother's debt 
is nearly £30,000. So he, there was just this point, like two years below me at school, where it all just went, it all just went crazy. And I just, I, I think it's, it's exactly that thing of, it shuts down social mobility. Yeah. Yeah, it that, that, that thing, it's, yeah. Yeah, it puts a cap on. And they were, you know, they, when they brought the tuition fees thing in, they were all, they were just like, oh, look, it's going to be means tested and stuff. And you're like, mm. there's just a, it, but also it's, there are people that, like, unfortunately, a lot of the lawmakers don't necessarily have the awareness of what the amount of sacrifice people who aren't, not even like moderately wealthy but like incredibly mm. wealthy and I, I come from a solidly middle class you know background but like it was a struggle you know it was and there's no way of my brother coming out of university even though we did not grow up in any great hardship but there's no way my dad can just go here's 30 grand there mm. you go like they my parents can't afford to do that mm. but so you know it's it's brutal like it's yeah. it's it is brutal. When you, as soon as you think about it for more than five seconds, <laughs> or as, I'll tell you, as soon as you have to justify it to a continental European, <laughs> I feel same way with the whole like the uniforms and the. It, it it must like wearing a uniform, calling your teacher by their last name. That must uh, numb any kind of. I want to say creativity, but also just that. What do you call that when you're like authority? authority like if you wear uniform obedience um, you mean it's, yeah I guess yeah. so yeah I guess obedience is the right word yeah it just kind of roughs me the wrong way yeah it's, in some uh, way it is interesting because I've never really understood individuality as right. well yeah right I've never really understood why we we don't just go oh you know what Sweden Denmark <laughs> yeah. their literacy rates are really great yeah, the language is better. Why don't yeah. you just... They're all they're learning multiple languages. Oh yeah, that's like true. you know how how long have you been able to speak English for? Oh, since I was like four. Insanity! Like it's like we can like je suis niche. That's about the extent. Je suis niche. <laughs> je suis niche. Like well, we yeah, I don't understand why we don't do it. Yeah. More. But how do you, and he still needs to know how you got out of gym. So you just stopped going or? No, I was just like I was in trouble permanently with my my PE teacher who once sent me on a like I basically I think I was a ton to fuck off or something like I st and he was like right Kumar lap and so I had started running a lap and then he just looked at my friend who just went friend of Kumar lap <laughs> he was like he was punishing people wow. on the basis that they were socialising with me <laughs> but I think I, I yeah I think I was just like acting out like I was a sort of teenager and I I just was it was I don't know, it wasn't, I was bored and I was frustrated. Were you under, um, what's the word, under stimulated? I, I see no, you as a quite I, an intelligent person. Yeah, I would love to say it was that. It wasn't really that. Like, I think I was, I was at, operating at the right level, intellectually. Like, it was, I, I went to a kind of, a grammar school that was very, like, it's grades, 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 you know. So I was mm. like, it, you know, it was like, it was in, you know, it was the right sort of, environment I think I was just like I think I was just a piece of shit <laughs> like you know sometimes no you excuse, try, like it? sometimes you try and go oh, I wonder what the external circumstance was what was really going on in my heart but sometimes the most honest thing you could do is just go I think I was a piece of shit like I think you know around like 1999 
to about 2001, I think I was just a piece of shit. What changed? Uh, as soon as I started doing my A levels, I was much more. Is that an age moderated. thing? Or? Yeah, I think so. Well, and also, like, I think I like I started only really doing subjects that I wanted to do. Yeah. And I think that made me, you know, like, I think that suddenly I was just doing stuff that I was interested in. I also like. I didn't get into Oxford, which was like that was like a big thing. If you were doing getting certain grades, you were, you had to try for Oxford or Cambridge at the school. Like that was a big thing that the oh, school wow. did. And I didn't get in there. And I think on reflection, that was like one of the best things that ever happened to me because suddenly it was like, oh, you're not the greatest thing in the world. Mm. And I think that like now on reflection, I'm like that was a really it was a good thing that happened. And uh, also because, like, the university I did, I ended up going to Durham and I ended up meeting, like, you know, like, I ended up meeting a bunch of people who sort of changed my life. But also I think it was good for 17-year-old Nish Kumar to get taken down a peg. Mm. You know, it was like those, you know, those experiences, like, in retrospect, you kind of go, yeah, mm. someone should have punched you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> You get that in comedy as well. Because I, I, oh, I recognise that from yeah. comedy so much. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever it's going really well, someone will take you out or you'll have the worst gig. And yep. you go, oh yeah, I remember, I'm yep. mortal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a permanently humbling... I think, like, I would say, like, at this time of year, every year, everyone that we are friends with... I would say goes through a process of going oh I'm shit again yeah. because we're in the cycle in the year where everyone's really properly starting on new Edinburgh show new tour show and it's that at that point where you, every year you go oh fuck I'm shit again and because you do your last show and it's at its very best and then the next day yeah. you're doing the new show which is will <laughs> is at its very worst the other show will never be better. Your new show will never be worse. No, it is it's such the a step stone. It is such a step. It is the worst you're, feeling it's in the, the world. It's the worst. It's the, you're right. It's absolutely the worst feeling. And like the only time I didn't have that was the first time I did Melbourne in 2014. The first so the Melbourne Festival, which is happening now, so it's mm. like in sort of April time. I did uh, my 2000. And, 13 Edinburgh show in 2014 in Melbourne and um, I died three times in a row uh, for an hour and it was brutal like it was the like some of the most brutal time of my career like and the third day so I'd, I had two gigs terrible gigs and then on the third day there were like 15 people there and three of my friends came to uh, Acaster Celia Pacuola and Sarah Pascoe oh. all came uh, like sort of out of psychological support okay. and it was and it was pr arguably the worst of the three and it is excruciating to like do a bad gig for an hour three of your friends are watching uh, afterwards Acast was like he was just, like he was like you looked when you walked on like you didn't want to be there oh. he was like what like, what's happened <laughs> he was like what happened <laughs> oh, and it was like and that that year, I just sort of, and it was again, again in re in retrospect, it was great because I sort of learned a lot about performing and writing a show and things that I didn't want to do in, with an hour show. And like, it just sucks that the only way to improve 
is to fail spectacular. (laughs) It really is. I think that's part of what the hard thing about comedy is that failure is not a sort of occupational hazard. It's a professional necessity. Mm. Like, it isn't like, oh, you know, the thing about doing comedy is that occasionally you might perform to silence. The problem is the thing about comedy is like, like you need to perform yeah. to silence for a bit. And, but, it's and the not only just, way it's you... not just failing. It's because like I, if with everything you have to fail, but you can like, imagine if you want to be a dancer, you fail in like a gym. But if you're a comedian, you fail in front of people who yeah. will remember that and yeah. bring it up to you when they come and see you three years later. Be like, oh, man, I saw you yeah. back in Manor House. And wow, yeah. you were not as good as you are. <laughs> <laughs> It's so painful. Oh, God. Yeah. You have to fail in front of people from the beginning. Yeah. It's really... Yeah. And I think that that's what... um, I think that's what makes people a bit crazy. I think that's what makes people a bit, like, a bit displaced in the head. Yeah, Yeah. it makes sense. This is someone fixing the piano in the background, but that's okay. It's great. It's adding a real depth to the whole thing. I like Like it. Like some bass. It's adding some nice culture to it. But how are you with um, how are you with failure when you were like a kid at school? Uh, Have you always been able to handle it? Because no, not at all. Like I was really bad with it. Like I, I would sort of, but I'm that classic. It's that classic thing that a lot of quite arrogant children, I think, do, is where. I just identified very quickly what I was good at and was super competitive at that. And mm. then everything else, I was like, I'm not even trying. <laughs> I'm not even trying. So why would I even... How can I even lose? Oh, that's such like a good point. Sports, maths, girls. These were three things where I was like, well, I'm not even trying. <laughs> so how can I be a failure if I haven't even made an attempt? Well, if I made an attempt, I'd probably be the pre- president of sex. <laughs> <laughs> I would almost certainly be that. But I'm not trying. So I'm, you know, I'm above all of your childish games. When did you have your first like romantic what do you call that experience university how old are you in university I like was 19 19 <laughs> yeah what? Oh, first kiss as well mm, yeah like 18 19 yeah wow yeah is that yeah. I'm saying wow is that normal no <laughs> okay no I just don't I was like we were talking like, about your your country and I'm like maybe that's no no thing. no that's like way late wow. what was that like like did you tell the person ah like by the way Oh no! Yeah, my first girl, like my first girlfriend. But then she was also something of a late developer. Like so, okay. we, so she. It was also. It wasn't like. Yeah. You know, I wasn't like. She was also kind of nervous. Yeah. Nineteen year old. It wasn't like I was suddenly like losing my virginity to Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a, that would have been such a good story for this podcast. That would have been my Stephen Fry moment. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, damn you, Nish. I love that we can pinpoint that now. Podcasting has sort of developed its own, sort of its own bars. Oh, okay, because I thought I was late. I was 16. Oh, my God. No, I think that's normal, isn't it? M- maybe in this country. But I was the latest the one. Consent? 15. 15. 15. Right. But, like, everyone oh, so I like knew. that's, like, the equivalent of me because the oh no actually no god the age of consent here is 16 for a second I was like is it 18 please <laughs> make it be 18 please <laughs> make it be 18 yeah it was never an issue <laughs> it no, 
never was had not, to wait till midnight. Not, it was not an issue. Yeah. Oh god, it was not an issue. I just I was so nervous when I was at school, oh like around girls. Like I, you know, uh, but like. But not socially. Like, I had yeah. lots of female friends, but I was very nervous. And I did my, my first Edinburgh show uh, in 2012. I sort of talked a lot about, you know, like how nervous I was around girls, particularly when I was a teenager. And a couple of my friend, friends who I was friends with back then came to see it. And they were like, what the hell did we do to you? <laughs> like, were you... Did we? What happened? Like, did we do something terrible to you? And I was like, no, it wasn't you. I was like, socially, I've always, you know, I'm socially, I'm fine. But it was always the the other stuff I was terrible at. One of my favourite m- moments in comedy is in the series. There's a series of Curb Enthusiasm where Larry David's wife, uh, he, for her, their tenth anniversary, they pre-agreed that she would allow him to sleep with someone new, and he he brings it up and she laughs and he's like obviously I'm not going to do it and she then sort of laughs and he's like what do you think I couldn't do it and she kind of allows him to do it almost as a sort of game and in the first episode where he's like on the prowl he goes up to this woman and he has this like conversation with her about bowling for like two minutes and because it's curbed they they just show the whole one minute long ramble about bowling and then she just walks off and he goes back to his friend and he just goes this is the thing I'm worst at this and drawing and I like it's that is one of my favourite like, because I'm also terrible at drawing, but I love that idea of just like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, don't know how to do it. Don't know how to do it. Feel very like always felt very embarrassed, and oh. like. I remember. Yeah. I remember. Uh, there's a guy I'd fancied this Turkish boy called Mehmed. I was so I'd fancied him since we were twelve. Yeah. We were both twelve. It wasn't but weird. Yeah. It wasn't like that. Was yes, yeah. But because I remember, he, oh, he wore this white T-shirt when they'd been uh, doing. Is this weird talking about? He was twelve, but I was also. Okay. Yeah, you were fine. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure this is okay. Fine. But anyways, he was so hot. We're certainly asking a provocative question. <laughs> not sure I should describe him. <laughs> the hotness yeah, yeah. of this twelve-year-old boy yeah. who had just maybe uh, keep it vague. He was sweating. That's all I'm saying. It was his... very beautiful. <laughs> He was beautiful. Oh, he had the most beautiful features. He had yeah. dim- dimples. Oh. And um, <clears throat> anyways, he's an adult now, so it's okay, I think. Yeah, yeah. And married. Anyways, so we were in Berlin, and uh, we're at this ho- uh, hostel for like this school trip. Yeah. And we played Spin the Bottle. And I'd been out of school for a year. I'd gone to like a special boarding school kind of thing. Right. Uh, so I hadn't seen him for a year. Now we were suddenly in the same kind of class again. And uh, we played Spin the Bottle, and he was there to go into the, to the toilet, the little tiny toilet, with me for an, a minute in the dark, mm-hmm. like a fun game. And I didn't know, I'd never been kissed before, I didn't know it's anything. The, it's but called something like Seven Minutes in Heaven or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, 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 something so like that. I know that through television programs. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. I was like, this is great. And yeah. he was so, be- so beautiful. And we, and we locked the door, turned on the, off the lights. And he, I could feel he was like standing closer and closer. And at this point, I had never kissed anyone before. Yeah. He was standing closer and closer. And then I felt like his his uh, nail on my thigh moving yeah. slowly up. And I was like, this is it. This is it. This is your first ever kiss. And this was this guy. And you've been yeah, in love yeah. with him. And oh, my God. And I could feel like his breath on my lips. And I was like, oh. And then I don't know what happened. I just panicked. And I started talking. Like, oh, my God. 
like, isn't this fun? What's even happening? It's a dog. It's not that dog. It's quite dark. And I was like touching his face. Like, oh, that's your nose. That's your nose. Look at your little. And I was like moving his face around. Like, look at your cheeks. Look at your cheeks. And he was just like, what? And I was like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, oh, your lips are funny to touch. Oh, my lips are funny to touch. Anyways, I think it's been a minute. Bye-bye. And I went back out and just sat down. And then I, tried, I was so flustered. I spun the bottle so hard that it crashed yeah. into the wall and... <laughs> <laughs> it's like a thousand pieces and I was like well that was that first kiss that didn't happen <laughs> anyways he's married now <laughs> that whole sequence is like a perfect comedy scene from a high school movie like it's perfect the panic and then you immediately spin the bottle into a wall that's like perfect that's perfect and then just sit back down on the floor going next <laughs> truth okay poor guy poor guy I wonder how many times I maybe did that in my life. I wonder how many times nervous boys and girls have panicked their way out out of kissing someone. <laughs> I wonder how many times like that has happened to a lot of people where because you for whatever reason just are not expecting it. Instead yeah, of or just, just not like, ready, or yeah. just there's too much pressure, or like, oh yeah. my god, this because it's such a huge thing when it hasn't happened yet. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I did the freaky thing of calling my brother the second after I lost my virginity. Oh my god! Because I was 16, yeah. and we'd we had not that we talked about it a lot. That sounds weird, but it was yeah. like a thing, and I was very late, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd like. I don't remember why I called him, actually. I don't have any excuse for having done that. But I called him and I was like, it's no big deal. Yeah. It wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't like, I, my life's not changed. It was just a thing that happened. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, don't don't talk to me about this. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, no, but it just happened. And my life's not different. Yeah. It didn't change my life. Like, isn't that, like, you think that this other side of the fence is like. That's <gasps> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm going to be an adult and I'll understand everything again. I was like, nah. Yeah, it's just nothing. Is, you're nah. still the same idiot. <laughs> That's what, that's certainly what I and also I think I thought especially after my like the first relationship I had I think I thought oh now I'll be really confident <laughs> absolutely nah. not just went straight back to zero are you good in relationships you're still with your girlfriend yeah I've been, I've, we've been together for five years nearly yeah, are you good at being in a relationship I think it would be best to ask my girlfriend <laughs> I think so like I think so I think we like I think I'm pretty good at it. I mean, she's very nice and I think we're we've we're well matched in terms of we're good at some things in about being in a relationship and bad at other things and we manage between the two of us we've sort of cobbled together a successful relationship, you know? Like we've got sort of complementing skills in the relationship um, and it's like I mean it's the longest relationship either of us have been in I probably shouldn't be talking so frankly about her life but yeah <laughs> it's definitely the longest relationship either of us have been in and for like for the you know into like the sort of you know like the second year even we were both like okay well this really is the great unknown <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess keep it going <laughs> and I think like 
and then I think what I realise is that sort of everybody I mean that's a great story of growing up isn't it you sort of realise everyone is slightly faking it and no one really knows what they're doing and I think the for us we were sort of because we were both we were just we had not been good at relationships previously as individuals there was like this sense of like I guess we guess we just continue being nice to each other and don't just like start being incredibly horrible for no reason i guess that's the normal thing to do and we just sort of we just we just keep going day by day week by week i'm talking about my relationship like he's recovering from alcoholism it's not (laughs) but maybe that's the key yeah maybe it's not you know then people go oh you know you need to keep it spicy you need to do this maybe the key is just 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 maybe be very nice yeah and, uh, and like I, I don't know I mean I yeah I, 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 I always wonder with that where people are like what, what is the kind of key and I kind of go I'm not sure there is like a magic one size fits all mm. solution to being in a relationship you just kind of it the whole thing is a huge dice roll and you just have to like the other person enough to be willing to take that gamble. <laughs> like, I think that's really that's really all it is. You sort of go, well, my life would be worse without you, so we should definitely keep doing this. <laughs> You're so romantic. <laughs> I'm just going to give the listeners some time to go and fetch some uh, some tissues for their <laughs> for all the openings of their body. <laughs> For the mess you just created. Yeah. When you words of romance. <laughs> it's everything is like, it's just everything is a work in progress. I think the problem is people think, maybe it's because of the way that we're sold relationships. Like you're supposed to think that there is like an end point. And mm. like, it's like that happiness is like this, it's like a place you reach. Mm. And it's like you, because that's the story, that's the story of every story. It's the person makes journey arrives at happiness and happiness is this kind of destination that you're just there and that's it and you live there and you're happy forever and there's no problems and you know as you sort of get you know get older you sort of realize it isn't it's you know it's a kind of it's a constant something it's something you have to constantly work at and you have to constantly you know in every area of your life being happy and being satisfied there isn't just going to be this magic point where you arrive and you never have to think about it again. Mm. It's just a constant evolving beast and yeah. you constantly have to work to maintain that status, I think. And the definition happy. of happiness will change as well. Yeah, absolutely. The goalposts move all the time and the key thing is to just try and not... I think the key thing is to not beat yourself up if it slips. Mm. I think that's the thing that sometimes people think, but hold on, I was happy. Like, everything was fine. I I thought I was done, you know? I thought I I could check out. And uh, I think, like, accepting that, certainly professionally, has helped me a lot in terms of my job because there's a point where you go, okay, well, I guess I'm just done now. And you go, no. And that's the great thing about comedy is it constantly reminds you that you'll never finished with it and you'll never be... You'll never be done with it. But I think it's the same in, you know, your all of your relationships, like with your partner and with your family and with your friends. You have to just keep on... You sort of have to just keep on working at it. What's your next show about? I don't know. I'm not doing a show this year. Oh, you're not? No. <gasps> for, the, for the first... I'm about to miss the, my first Edinburgh in 11 years. 
How's that? I, d- I don't know. At the moment, I f- it's the right thing to do yeah. for a number of reasons, just in terms of, like, practically, there's not really enough time for me to get a show together. Um, but I am really going to miss it because, like, a whole part of my identity is <laughs> You know, like, I, yeah. it's been 11 years. I, and my birthday is in August as well. So I turned 21 and 31 in Edinburgh and I didn't miss a festival in between so like my whole kind of identity is so bound up in Edinburgh that I don't really know what it's going to be like without it but I feel you know I feel I don't know how I feel I know that I can't do it so there's no real thing there was no real decision for me because just practically but I think once everyone is there, I will be thinking, oh, shit, I wish I was there. Because the thing, the thing is, when you get rid of all the professional stuff, it's really hard because you, you want to write a new show, you try really hard. But when you strip everything, all of that other stuff away, what you're left with is a month with all your friends in the same place. Yeah. And that's the kind of hard thing. The tricky thing about being a comic, it's an unbelievably great job. But the only problem is that you, you know, you're all over the place and you have most of your social life is sort of on the phone with your friends you know you're like I'm coming back from some place so I call my friend how are you you know it's like you you conduct a lot of your friendships in absentia and it's even you know so when you're in Edinburgh like the first day in Edinburgh it's like oh everyone's here yeah <laughs> or you say hello to everyone you meet on the street oh my god hi third so, day in you're like oh, oh god, you again <laughs> Ugh, Hagen again, talking about the <laughs> Danish educational system. <laughs> but it's one of those things where I, I think I'll really miss it once it starts. I'm definitely going to come up. Mm. It's not one of those things where a lot of people, when they take the first year off, are like, I'm going on holiday. Yeah, I'm 100% going to be there. Yeah. Um, because, um, but like, I owe my whole career to Edinburgh. Like, I mm. have, everything I've got has been through Edinburgh shows. So I sort of have that, like, a, a lot of people really hate it, but. I, I, I love it and I really miss it and Edinburgh loves you <laughs> like it does you're like the Edinburgh yeah Edinburgh person it sort of made yeah it really made me it really you know because like I, I always struggled to get like club gigs and stuff and I only really got those once I started doing solo shows mm. in Edinburgh and all the radio opportunities and the TV opportunities have come because I've written Edinburgh shows and you know, and then we get to do stuff like go to Melbourne, off, the, and that's all off the back of Edinburgh. Mm. Um, and it's great. I mean, what more do you want? If you're, I, I was, I got into comedy because I was a f- fan of comedy and obsessed with it. And so, like coming to Edinburgh was, you know, it was like making a pilgrimage mm. the first time. Like it was just, it was so exciting. And um, God, I remember my first Edinburgh so vividly. I remember getting off the train. And coming up to the Royal Mile and just being like, shit. <laughs> I remember just being like, I cannot believe I am in Edinburgh. And the problem is, it, because it then becomes a work obligation and because it becomes, there's a huge amount of pressure on it, you get, you get taken away from that initial impulse. But I'm really looking forward to coming up this year and coming up to the Royal Mile and coming up and seeing all the venues and being like, shit, I'm at Edinburgh. I'm back. I've come back. I've come back around. That's uh, the perfect setup for the very last question that I always ask everyone, which is, <clears throat> I don't know how to phrase it yet. I've asked it yeah. 39 times. 
So, you know when babies are born, yeah. they scream because it's all bright. There's a light everywhere. There's sounds everywhere. They're not used to any of it. It sounds scary and they're terrified. Yeah. Uh, so they scream and they cry. You know now, as a, what did you say, you were 32? 31. 31. Yeah, 31. As a 31-year-old, you know that's going to happen the next 31 years of your life. It won't be light and sounds. It'll be all sorts of stuff that's like life stuff that'll happen to you that'll make you scared. But you get to say something. You're holding yourself as a baby. Little Nish came out. Yeah, yeah. And you're holding yourself as a baby. And you get to say something to the baby. Now, you can't change anything. You can't make it look at things differently. But you can maybe comfort it a bit because you know what's going to happen and you know it might be scary. But what would you say to the baby? Little baby Nish. It gets better. And then it gets worse. And then it gets better. And then it gets worse. And then hopefully it gets better. <laughs> I love the image of you holding yourself as a baby going, I don't know either, mate. I don't know either. I have no fucking idea. Yeah. You're crying. I'm crying. <laughs> but, it, you know, it goes in... Uh, yeah, it's like that thing of going... I agree. <laughs> that's, that's the best answer we've ever had. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Mr. Nish Kumar, and my website is nishkumar.co.uk, and it's updated very frequently. <laughs> and, and you're doing radio, you're hosting a thing, and people should find... Oh, what yeah, you well, do? you can... Uh, my radio show, Spotlight Tonight, is still available on the Radio 4 website, um, and the de- that will definitely be on my website. Cool. I'm saying that so that I'll make sure there's on my website. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much, Nish. Thanks, mate. Thank you for listening. I uh, just want to say thank you to everyone who supports the podcast. Uh, I read the iTunes reviews and they make me so happy. They make me so happy. You have the best. Uh, and if you haven't given it a five-star rating yet, feel free to go and do so. It, it means the world. Um, and uh, yeah, for those of you who keep sending me pictures of you wearing the T-shirt, which, uh, that is amazing as well. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm stalling because I, I have to do the shout out and uh, I'm scared. But I'll do it now because you can support this podcast financially. And one of the things that I've just added, so you can, if you go on patreon.com forward slash Mopad, M-O-H-P-O-D, you can become a patron, meaning that you'll give a certain amount per episode. Now, if you give more than $5, yeah, it's like American. I have no idea what that is in, in whatever currency you use. But if you give more than $5, you become like a friend of the podcast, meaning that you'll get little perks. Um, I'm trying to find, you know, uh, some shows will have special discounts. And um, also, uh, if I get a very special guest on, I'll let you ask questions like I did with Sapphire Blue in the last episode of the previous episodes before uh, David Badil. So I, I want it to be like a nice place to be. So I, it means the world to me that some of you are supporting financially as well. Like it, it means that I can afford to do this because it takes a long time to edit. So I would like and then you get a shout out. If you give more than five 
dollars you get a shout out which is is happening now and uh god so here are your names mispronounced i want to give a massive thank you to kathy Draxelbauer, robert knowles eve wingrith victoria greer marnie biles phil vapolas olivia hove zoe cumberland josie lucy inger ellingson imogen uh-oh imogen Viersen, maddie Searle, michelle lincoln just Justine Hughes D. Freeman, Andrea Papillon, Caleb Melkua, Zach Hillekes, Jessica Stuhlfeier, Meg Jane Young, Emma Chan, Sylvia Novak, Georgia Brown, Kathy Beveridge, oh. Emma Walton, Andy Walker, Geraldo, Ashen Cronin, Claire Russell Hughes, Danny Beckett, Fiona Richardson, Claire Lamb, Rachel Grace Suter, Kat Pillar, Harold Van Dijk, Emmy, Eleanor. Helen Galliard, Sarah Ferreira, Ikeseth, Sharia Dunphy, Emily Glover, and Daniel Reifershade. <sighs> huh? What about that? What about that? Jesus, have easier names, guys. <laughs> This is complicated. Anyways, thank you for supporting. It means the world to me. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Find us everywhere. Five-star rating. All of that. But... At the end of this, I just want to say a big thank you to ba- to Bailey Leonard for my jingle and to Lindy. Oh, why am I fucking this one up? I have like 10 seconds left. Thank you to Bailey Leonard for my jingle and to Linda Brinkhouse for my logo and to the Phoenix Artist Club and Peter Dunbar for letting me record episodes there, even when a man is fixing a piano in the background. Jesus, thank you for listening and I'll speak to you next week.